Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. They've designed must-have travel styles for when you need to jet. The lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit makes these shoes some of the most packable styles ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Take the Super Light Tree Runner on your next adventure. Its cushy, lightweight foam midsole supports every step, and the extra outsole traction gives you the grip to just go for it. The eucalyptus fiber upper adds next-level breathability to keep you going all day. Plus, the Super Light Tree Runner is comfortable and ready to go right out of the box. So, what can you do in a Super Light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. Wait a minute. Have you heard the whistler? Minded son, Henry. Go ahead, son. Go ahead. We must have John Henry. Yes, mother. Yes, mother. Yes, mother. Yes, mother. <laughs> Tonight, CBS presents a new mystery series The Whistler. And I, the Whistler, know many things. For I walk by night. I know many strange tales, many secrets hidden in the hearts of men and women who have stepped into the shadows. I know the nameless terrors of which they dare not speak. And so I tell you tonight the strange story of retribution. Gaze up this muddy, rain splattered road. Small, lonely stone building appears against the lightning-streaked sky. The dismal courthouse for Southern Village. The village of Marsdenburg. 
nearly midnight. A trial is in progress. A murder trial. John Hendricks is on trial for his life. <laughs> the state versus Hendricks. Killed his wife and stepson. He killed his wife and her simple-minded son, Henry, for the 10000 in cash she kept in her big house on the outskirts of town. Open the door. There he stands, John Hendricks, a huge, silent man of fifty, large, bony hands. Close the door. Well, what do you think? Does he look like a murderer? Prosecutor is closing his argument. Ladies and gentlemen, the jury, it has been proven that Mrs. Hendricks had no current bank account. It has been proven that she did have a large sum of money which she kept on her estate. John Hendricks knew this money and attempted to steal it, was caught in the act, and killed them both in order to cover up the theft. It was not a tramp who killed that old gray-haired lady and her simple son. There was only one intruder, one thief, one murderer. And there he sits, ladies and gentlemen. There he sits in all his guilt, a vicious killer, a murderer. There is only one decision for you to make. There is only one penalty that can erase from this countryside the stigma of this fiendish crime. One penalty for this axe murderer, John Hendricks. And that penalty is death. State rests. <laughs> Have you reached a verdict? Your Honor, we, uh, we, the jury, due to lack of more complete evidence, find the defendant guilty of murder in the second degree. Second degree. Cheated death. You'll get life. Surprise. Of course you are. But it had to be. It had to be. I know. John Hendricks, stand up. Yes, John, stand up. Face the court. Watch him now. He's on the speech. John Hendricks, I wish to state that I am not in accord with the findings of this jury. However, there's nothing for me to do but sentence you to the state penitentiary for the remainder of your natural life. Know where you are now? Recognize that huge, sprawling stone structure with the high walls around it? State penitentiary. How much later? Ten years. John Hendricks is in there. He has a number now. It is 1013. Let's go through the gates. <laughs> Up the steps. Down the corridor. Here we are in cell block two. Night again. Just turned in. This has been going on for ten years for John Hendricks, 1013, and his cellmate Bill, 1014. Bill, 1014, is a gangster, or rather he was. But he's changed during five years he's been here. Bill has decided to go straight if he ever gets out, which is very doubtful. But he holds no resentment, has become more or less happy. Bill started reading here, philosophy and so forth. He's changed. But what about John Hendricks? Oh, no. Not Hendricks. Because he has a plan. He has a purpose. Move closer to the cell door and listen. 
All I got to say, Bailey, is I think you're crazy enough to make the try with me. That's a matter of opinion, John. But it'll be simple. I got everything all set. It's all fixed. Not a chance of a slip up. All fixed? Who with? Well, a friend of mine. Oh, I see. Crooked guard. No, he ain't a guard. Don't tell me you got it fixed with a warden. What difference does it make who it is so long as the whole thing is set and fixed? Well, you've got to have some help, inside or out. Oh, Hendrix, I think you're nuts. You're stir crazy. I'm getting out of this place. I got a reason, a good reason. I got something waiting for me outside, something I can enjoy, something that belongs to me. I'm the only one that knows where it is, and I'm going out. You're in here for a good long time, brother, and if you don't want to go with me, you can stay and rot. Look, Hendrix. I still think you're nuts. All right, what of it? I got the right dope, ain't I? And it'll work. Suppose it does. Suppose you find this money hidden away on the old lady's estate. What good would it do you? You killed her and her son together, didn't you? That's a lie. I didn't. I didn't kill anybody. I say you did. It ain't true. Not a word of it. But I know where the money is. Okay, you can break out. You can have the money, but... Well, I've done a lot of reading and thinking since I've been here. Ah, you gone so. Maybe so. But I know this much now. If I ever do get out, I'll do things a lot different. Believe me, Hendrix, I'll tread the street now. I've done a lot of things that I'm sure sorry for now. I, I can't undo them. But I won't do them again. No, sir, I'll do things different. Not the way I did it before. Ah, you're just a religion, but it won't get you out. Maybe not, but I'm resigned. I got exactly what's coming to me. And believe me, Hendrix, so will you. So will you. If you break out, they'll have you back one way or another. You watch and see. Well, I'm going. So you watch and see. Watch and see. Now, another storm. Another night. A lonely country road. A car. We're in the South. That village we passed a few miles back, that silent, sleeping village, was Marsdenburg. Yes, Marsdenburg, remember? That small, lonely stone building was the courthouse. The courthouse where John Hendricks was tried and convicted. We're on the outskirts now, on a lonely road. A young man is driving the old car, and there's a girl beside him. Motor trouble? Well, there, just ahead of light. Yes, it's a little crossroads store. Please. There's a light, but I don't see anybody. Oh, it's closed. We'd better drive on. I guess you're right. Good evening, folks. Uh, what's your trouble? Uh, we're having motor trouble. Uh, is that so? Hmm. How are you doing uh, driving around on a night like this? On our way west. Mister, is there an inn or something around here where we can stay for the night? An inn? Uh, yes, there's a place about uh, eight miles up the road. He'll probably put you up. Yeah, there's a sign on the left-hand side of the road. Can't miss it. This road's pretty bad when it rains. Gotta be careful or you'll find yourself walking. Thanks. We'll try. Good night. Good luck, mister. You'll need the luck. The storm is increasing now. The muddy road sparkles in the flashes of lightning. All dark trees sway back and forth in the fury of the storm like moaning lost souls. The little car lurches and bounces in its white heat center of the highway. Two 
two miles, three miles, four, maybe five, and look, there it is, straight ahead. On the right side of the road, a blue light. Ah, yes, that's it. Wait, George. Did the old man say on the right side or the left side of the road? George, what's wrong? I don't know. The distributor must have gotten wet. Look, George. What? That blue light we saw, it's gone. Where is it? We must have passed it. Well, we couldn't have. I was looking all out. It seemed as though it just disappeared in the thin air. I'd better turn in here. This motor won't last much longer. Yes, so. I can't see a thing. No, it's... Can you? It's certainly a desolate-looking place. There must be a house back in there. There it is. Look, there's a driveway. Twenty feet ahead. Oh, yeah. Well, this motor's about to conk out. We'd better drive in and see what we can find. Yes. Drive in, George. You'll find something. That's right. Through the gate. Make the curve. All right. There goes your motor. A little more. Now. Oh, we just made it. Thank heaven. Yes, that's right. Always thank heaven at a time like this. All right. Get out and go up on the porch. Now, let me help you. Go. I'm all right. What do we do with the bag? We'll leave them here in the car till we find out if there's anyone here. Come on. You see a bell? No. Can't see a thing. Gee, this place looks completely deserted. I don't think anyone lives here. I don't either. Let's go. Pause momentarily for station identification. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. George, let's don't knock. I don't like this place. Let's go on. How with a dead motor? Or did we go? I'll knock. Well, all right. Ah, that's right. Knock, George. Knock. Go ahead. Louder. Again. We've got to have shelter. Yes, we, we can't stay in that car any longer. Can we? No. Afraid not. Here it comes. Now you're on your own, George. On your own. There is someone. Yes? Oh! Uh, good I... evening. What is it? Well, I, uh, you see, uh, our car... Uh, yes, our, our, our car stalled. And, and we can't we... go any farther, and it's such a terrible night out that we thought we could stop here for the evening. Stop here? Why, yes, we, we saw your light and... Light? What light? Why, why the blue neon out in front? There is no light. Well, have you a room? Yes, there is a room. Well, uh, could we come in? I mean, it's awfully wet out here. You may come in if you wish. Oh, thank you. 
this is quite a relief. We were afraid you'd closed up for the night, especially when all the lights were out. Are the lights out? Yes, you see. Huh? Of course the lights are out. Oh, I didn't know. You do take tourists. Do we? Oh, yes, that's what they told us. Who told you? Well, the man, the old man at the little store back at the crossroads. Little store? Yes, at the crossroad about five miles back. You know where the crossroad is, don't you? There is no store at the crossroad. There isn't? No. Uh, look, madam, would you mind turning on the lights? I can't see a thing. We have no lights here. No lights? Uh, give me a flashlight, Jim. She means there's no electricity. No. There is no light here. Oh, throw the flash around. There, there must be a lamp. No. Don't make a light. We see well in the dark. We? Who's we? Is there someone else in the house? My son. Oh, He's going to bed? No. He is standing beside you. Beside who? You. Son. Yes, Mother. Oh! Gee, give me that flashlight. God, it. you got it. Oh, yeah. Gee, oh, how long have you been standing there, Bob? <laughs> Since you came in. That's so. Well, I didn't see you. You make a noise like a spook. Who are you? What is your name? Uh, George Kimball. Uh, this is my wife, Joan. We're on our way west with travelers. Travelers? So are we. What? Quiet, son. Quiet. No, let him talk. He's quiet enough. Um, how long have you folks been living here? We lived here all our lives. How about closing the door? Is the door open? Why, of course it's What? George! Now, take it easy, I... Joan. Don't get excited. Oh, look, madam, there's a candle on that table over there at the fireplace. Is there? Yes, and, uh... If you don't mind, I'm going to light it. Please don't. Oh, wait a minute. If you want us to stay here, we insist that we have some light. You want us to stay here, don't you? Do we? Do we, son? <laughs> yes, mother. What are you looking at me for? Yes, mother. Without light? Yes, mother. <laughs> George, let's go. I don't want to stay here tonight. This place doesn't look good to me. There has been no good here for many years. See what I mean, George? I don't get it. You don't seem to want us yet. Your son does. How do you make any money that way? We don't make money. You don't? You mean you haven't had any guests lately? No, not for many years. Well, you can't expect any if you act like this. But we do expect a guest. Don't we, sir? <laughs> yes, Molly. Well, he certainly has a surprise coming. Yes, he has. <laughs> How many rooms have you? There are many rooms, but only one. Only one? That doesn't make sense. What do you mean? Only one for guests. You mean only one equipment? Yes. Well, then if you've got it reserved for this guest you expect, what are we going to do? There is an inn farther along the road. They have rooms. They will take care of you. It will be best for us. Our distributor got wet, so our car won't run. Where is your car? Right there at the foot of the steps. I see no car. You don't? Why, it's standing right... Joan. George, where is it? It's gone. Holy smoke, it is gone. But where? How? I didn't hear a sound. It must have rolled ahead. Throw your light around. Not a sign of it. Say, what goes on here? Son, 
Yes, Mother. You move the car. <laughs> yes, Mother. I understand, son. I understand. Wait a minute. Your son moved it? How could he? The motor won't even run. And even if it would, we didn't hear a sound. No sound. How did you move it? I... I don't know. Oh, that's a funny thing. Here we are in a place where they don't want us in the way of leaving. Well, you've got us on your hands now. You'll have to make the best of it. No, George, no. We'll leave. Nonsense. This is all silly. Come on, let's have some light and cut out the monkey business. Wait. Um, what have we decided? Yes, Mother. We decided yes. Very well. <laughs> if you wish. If you wish, you may stay. Stay until... Until when? All night. <laughs> yes, Mother. If you wish. Now I'll light this candle. There we are. George, look. Well, look at the dust and the cobwebs. This place looks deserted, like an old cellar. Well, uh, how about the room? Do we get it, or are the guests are expecting? There is another room that will do, perhaps. Well, uh, could we see it? Yes. Uh, and by the way, how much do you charge? We charge nothing. We charge nothing. Nothing. Sounds silly, but it's bright for us. We're running short anyway. Well, let's see the room. Very well. It is upstairs. Uh, after you, madam. No. You go first. Very well. Come on, Joe. Bring that other candle. Come, son. Follow me. <laughs> yes, mother. I never saw so much dust. Well, they must like it. You know... Nice clean dust. <laughs> that room at the head of the stairs. Why? This room was well furnished. Is this the room reserved for your expected guest? No. But you said you had only one room furnished. Who sleeps here? I stay here now. I see. Or do I? It's a nice soft bed. It was always comfortable. We'll leave you now. Come, son. We must leave them alone now. Yes, Mother. Leave them alone. Good night. Good night. You will lock your door. Huh? Oh, oh, yes, yes. Uh, we'll, we'll lock it. <laughs> goodbye. Say, did she say good night or goodbye? I don't know. I thought she said... She did say goodbye. Golly, what a squirrely outfit. I wish we hadn't had car trouble. We get for trying to drive in the storm. How much money have we left? Not much. Just enough to get to Los Angeles the way I figure. But once I get there, I know there'll be a job for me. We'll make it, don't worry. You'll see me in a nice job in Hollywood. I'm not worried about seeing you in Hollywood. No? No. I'm just worried about seeing you in the morning. <laughs> Midnight. Another car on the same road. You know who it is. It's John Hendricks. You know where he's going. He turns in at our deserted mansion, up the driveway, and stops. He steps out. Slips up the steps, opens the door, and throws his flash about the dusty room. Cobwebs glisten in the beam. A few moments, and the light comes to rest on the fireplace. He steps quickly to the mantel, 
draws a small hammer and chisel from his pocket and sets to work removing a brick. Ah, now he's finished. The brick is loose. He reaches in and withdraws a heavy yellow envelope. He starts to put it in his pocket, but suddenly freezes in his tracks. He can't move. He turns icy cold. Turn around, Hendricks. Turn around. Look. At the foot of the stairs, across the room, stands a woman holding a candle. And beside her, a grinning youth holding an axe. Turn around, Hendricks. Look at their heads, covered with blood. Turn around. John Hendricks, murderer. John Hendricks, thief. Yes, John. No, no. We've come for you, John, the same way you came for us. We've been waiting for you, John. We knew you'd come back for the money. We've been waiting. We've come to take you, John. No, no. Please don't come near me. Please. You must suffer, John, as we have suffered. I've suffered. I've suffered. Not enough, John. Not enough. I didn't mean to do it. I didn't plan to kill you. I went mad. Lost my head. No, no. Don't come near me. You can have the money. You can have it. Then give it to us, John. Give us the money. You won't need it now. Come, son. We must have the money and we must take John. Come, son. Come. No. No. There. There's the money on the floor. Money is not enough, John. Money is not enough. Go ahead, son. Go ahead. We must have John Hendricks, thief, murderer. Yes, mother. Yes, mother. Yes, mother. No, no, no. no. I shoot. I shoot. Bullets won't stop us. Lord George. What was that? I heard a scream. Downstairs. What did I? And stop. I'll open the door. It must have been Downstairs. I don't see a thing. Here's your flashlight. Great Scott. Look. A man down there on the floor. Come on. He's dead. Look at the gun. It's been fired. I don't see a mark on it. Let's get out of here. I'll say, come on. No, you don't. Turn for yard. George! Cops! What's going on here? Hand over that gun. Thanks. What are you doing here? Well, we're... Uh, we're stopping here. That is... We're just leaving. I can see that. Know this man on the floor? Know him? Uh, yes, yes. Joan, yes. what's the matter with you? No, no, no. We don't. We don't. We, Take we don't. Away, Frank. Yes, sir. What are you two doing here? Why, we're oh, we're guests. Yes, we're both guests. Guests? Who's guests? Why, guests, lodgers, tourists, guests of the old lady. What old lady? The old lady that lives here. The old lady and her son. Huh. You'd have to cook up a better one than that. What do you mean? Drive here. Where's your car? The son took it. Son, old lady, what are you talking about? They live here. They said they own this place. We had motor trouble and they put us up for the night. What about him, Frank? Well, he isn't dead, breathing. Looks like he had a stroke or something. It's him, all right. John Hendricks. Take a look around. See if there's anyone else here. Yes, sir. What's your name? Uh, George Kimball. This is my wife. We're on our way to California. Do you know who this man is? Certainly. We've been on his trail. He's an escaped convict. This your gun? No, sir. Did he shoot at you? No, sir. You shoot at him? This gun's been fired, and we heard shots as we turned in the driveway. Not a sign of anyone, sir. Nothing but dust and cobwebs. Look, Campbell, you said there was an old lady and her son here. Sure, they were here all evening. They're not here now. Well, they let us in and showed us to our room. They certainly were here. Uh, what did the old lady look like? Well, she had gray hair, wore a house dress and an apron. What did the boy look like? He was a big kid, about 20. Had a round, rosy face, and I think 
Well, I know he was kind of simple-minded. He had a strange laugh. And he he had red hair. Well, I'll be darned. What do you think of that, Frank? Golly, isn't me the creeps? Why so? You know who you've just described? No. The old lady and her son who used to live here. Used to live here? Yeah. They were murdered here ten years ago. What? Murder? Sure. This man on the floor was her husband, the boy's stepfather. He was tried for killing them with an axe and stealing her money and bonds. He got off at second degree because of lack of evidence. He escaped a week ago and headed this way. He's been on his trail ever since he entered this county. So you see, Kimball, if there was anybody else here tonight, it must have been a figment of your imagination. This house has been deserted for ten years. Oh. Oh, George. Good Lord. Look, Sergeant. Found this envelope on the back doorstep. It's the money. Well, what do you know? The money and the bonds. Old Martha Hendricks' money. That's why Hendricks came here. But... But but where did they go? The old lady? No place. Because they weren't here, Kimball. Well, better we get them out of here and back to headquarters. Oh, wait a minute. Don't leave us. We won't. You're coming along, too. Why? We need you for a day or two. All right, let's get going, Frank. Come on. But, but where, where did they go? We saw them. I know they were here. Well, you certainly described them to a T, but don't worry too much about it, you know. Things like this can drive you nuts. You know what I mean? Things like this, well... Things like this sometimes just... Just happen. You know what I mean? No. Well... Oh, come on. Let's go before I get the heebie-jeebies. What did he say? Things like this just sometimes happen? Just happen? Well, sometimes they do and can't be explained. But not this time. Oh, no, not this time. This can be explained. Remember John Hendricks' cellmate, Bill? Bill, number 1014? He can explain. He knows all about it. Because he planned it. Bill wanted the money. He'd learned all the dope from Hendricks. He sent his pals, the phony spooks, made up like the old lady and her son to grab the money when Hendricks recovered it. Too bad they dropped it in their hurry to get away. Bill didn't want to hurt John. He wanted to scare him out of it. Remember? Bill, 1014, had changed. He said he'd never do things the way he'd done them before. And he didn't. Bill meant what he said. Good night. If this came upon you unaware and you listened, we've served our purpose. Music composed and conducted by Wilbur Hatch is written and directed by J. Donald Wilson and originates from Columbia Square in Hollywood. 
Next week, same time, the Whistler returns. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. suggest that you leave this place at once, Miss Medford. At once. That was Clay Alden, Peter Medford's secretary. And this is Marie, Peter Medford's young niece. No, no, no. It's no dream. It's here. Here in my room. Saturday night, and CBS presents another in the new mystery series, The Whistler. I, the whistler, know many things, for I walk by night. I know many strange tales, many secrets hidden in the hearts of men and women who've stepped into the shadows. I know the nameless terrors of which they dare not speak. And so I tell you tonight the strange mystery of the shrunken head. In the quickening darkness of a stormy fall evening, a young girl paces the deserted platform of a small suburban railroad station. From her anxious attitude, we know that she's waiting for someone. But just be patient, Miss Medford. There is someone coming to meet you. <laughs> he has just now driven up. He's coming through the station door, walking up behind you. Miss Medford? Oh, oh yes, I... Sorry to have kept you waiting, I'm Clay Alden. Oh, yes. Uncle Peter has mentioned you in his letters. Uh, his secretary, aren't you? That's right. Where is my uncle? He was disappointed he couldn't meet you. Pretty much of a task for the old gentleman to get around these days. You see, he's confined to a wheelchair. Oh, I didn't know. Serious? Legs are paralyzed. Result of jungle fever. Just came on him lately. How awful. Yes, it's a shame, all right. Well, shall we get going? Car's out front. Better run for it or you'll get wet. Yes. I'll take care of your luggage. Thank you very much. Rather a disappointing reception, Marie Medford, wouldn't you think? You have come over 2,000 miles all by yourself just to see the only living relative you have in the world. And then you are met by a stranger. The car turns up the tree-lined driveway. This Marie is what is known in this countryside as Medford Manor. Yes, Medford Manor. It's all that the name implies. A gloomy pile of a structure, even made gloomier by the blackness of the night and the driving rain. Oh, someone has heard the car approach. The door is open. It's the butler, Victor. 
Well, Marie, are you going in? <laughs> what a pity you don't know what I do. You'd never cross that threshold if you did. Hmm. Too late now. Your luggage is being brought in. The young man and the butler stand beside you. The door closes. Victor? Yes? Take Miss Medford's luggage upstairs to the south corner bedroom. The, the south corner bedroom, sir? Certainly. Why not? Very good, sir. Um, any further instructions? No. Oh, uh, has Mr. Medford retired yet? Uh, not yet, sir. He's in his study. I I just gave him his... Uh, his warm milk. He may have dozed off, sir. All right. Thank you, Victor. Yes, sir. Thank you, sir. Would you care to follow Victor to your room, Miss Medford? I'd like to see my uncle now, if I could, please. Very well. Come this way. Here we are. I'll speak to him. Wait here, please. Marie, how do you like it? You get a feeling of something not as it should be? <laughs> Strange fellow, this clay. And the butler, too. Uh, look about you. What a depressing house. Huge and cold and unfriendly. Oh, not at all as you'd imagined it. <laughs> Is it, Marie? Your uncle will see you now. Thank you. Marie, my dear child, come in, come in, come in. Uncle. Well, well, my oh. poor child, take off those wet things at once. Holden, what's the matter with you? My niece will catch her death. Help her off for those things. Sorry, Mr. Mudford. Thank you. Bless my soul, pretty as the picture. You got a kiss for us? Of course. <laughs> That's it. Now you sit down here beside oh, me. I'm, I'm sorry I couldn't meet you, my dear, but I, I'm afraid the ravages of old age and malaria have finally caught up with me. My one comfort is this wheelchair. Getting onto it, though, you should see me wheeling all over the house. <laughs> the only thing that baffles me is the stairs. My life is now confined to the first floor only. Oh, pretty bad trip, wasn't it? Seemed endless. Well, you're here now, thank goodness. This is your home. You're free to come and go and do whatever you please. Thank you, Uncle Peter. Don't suppose any of this is what you imagined? I know that I'm different from what I'd hoped you'd find. <laughs> Tell me, Uncle Peter, do you think you'd have recognized me if you hadn't known I was coming? Recognize you? Why, of course. You have the family of Medford written all over you. Oh. No mistaking you, my dear. Well, Alden, what are you standing there for? What are you staring at? Oh, waiting to see if you need anything for this. No, 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 that's all. I'll ring for you if I need you. Yes, sir. Oh, I forgot to thank him. For what? He gets paid for whatever he does? Forgive me for saying this, but somehow I don't like that young man. Was he rude to you? Oh, no, not actually. But he seems to resent my being here. And the butler, he seems resentful, too. I feel as though I don't belong. Oh, they're harmless enough. But getting back to you, I... I was so sorry I was in South America at the time... the time it happened. Must have been pretty ghastly for you, my child. Like a nightmare, Uncle Peter. I'm not myself yet. I should think not. An only child losing both parents so suddenly and... and so horribly. Maybe it was a good thing it was sudden. It had to happen at all. 
One spectator at the crash said that they never... Never knew what happened. Oh, no, 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 no. You mustn't talk about it. All that's behind you, a new life from now on. Hmm? Course. That's the way I want to look at it, Uncle Peter. And I'd like to get something to do. What? Oh, no. Oh, yes, really, I would. I want to be active if I can. I'm quite capable. I'd really like to get a, a job, Uncle Peter. Well, bless my soul. Secretarial work or anything. Well, that might not be a bad idea to keep you from brooding. We'll see what we can do. And now, now I have a little surprise for you. You haven't seen my collection. No, I haven't. Mother and father often talked about it. Well, if you'll just open that door over there, I'll show some of it to you. Oh, that's right. Uh, you'll find the light switch just inside. Why? Why, it's a regular museum. All these glass cases. Over here, my dear. Now, look at these. Well, what do you think of them? Why, well, they're horrible, Uncle Peter. They look like... Like tiny human heads. Well, that's exactly what they are. Life-size at one time, but isn't it remarkable the way they shrink them down? Look at this one. See his little features? Perfect in every detail. He's my favorite. Interesting history about him. He was once a white man. Oh. Forced down in the South American jungle when his plane cracked up. The headhunters got hold of him, and there he is. His name is Charlie. I'd like to see him closer. I can unlock the case. No, no, please. Do you mind if I don't look anymore? Oh. Dear, I, I keep forgetting people are sometimes shocked by these things. I see them only through a collector's eyes. Oh, well, you'll have lots of time to look over my jungle paraphernalia. And meanwhile, perhaps you'd better get some rest. Would you like Victor to get you something to eat? No, thank you, Uncle Peter. But I am rather tired. I, I think I'll say goodnight to you. Know your way about, do you? Yes, I'll, I'll find my way. Good night, Uncle Peter. Good night, my sweet child. I'll see you in the morning. <laughs> Poor Marie. Know something? You're going to have dreams tonight. Unpleasant ones, too. <laughs> Well, let's move the clock ahead and go to Marie's bedroom. It's a little after three in the morning. She's asleep now. The rain's still coming down. The wind moans outside. Hear it? Yes, Marie's asleep. Looks peaceful enough lying there in that big four-poster bed. But suddenly she begins to toss. Mm. My name's Charlie. Mm. My name's Charlie. My name's Charlie. No, no, no. Oh, oh, how foolish. Only a dream. And it seems so real. I'm sure I heard it whisper. My name's Charlie. Only the wind. Oh, I wish I hadn't seen that dreadful thing. Miss Medford, are you all right? Who's there? Clay Alden. Oh. Oh, yes, Mr. Alden. I, uh... I just had a bad dream, that's all. I'm quite all right, thank you. Well, if you need anything, just ring. Yes, I will. Sorry I disturbed you. Not at all. Oh, I must get some sleep. Stop dreaming. Mm -hmm. 
but little sleep for you, Marie. <laughs> the moments tick by with dreadful slowness. Fearing to close her eyes, she lies staring at the roof of her bed, lying in agony for the moment when that hideous little head will again come floating in through space. <laughs> morning now, a dreary fog still hovers depressingly over the old house, a cold clamminess which only adds to Marie's sensation of uneasiness. In the dismal morning room, Victor is serving breakfast to Clay Alden and Marie. Shame you didn't rest well last night, Miss Medford. Oh, it's just the newness of everything. I'll get used to it, Victor. I hope you will, Miss. Of course you will. Oh, and Mr. Alden... Um, don't mention anything to my uncle about that silly dream I had last night. Oh, of course not. Did you have a bad night, miss? Yes. The daytime makes such a difference in things. Even you seem different, Mr. Alden. For the better, I trust. Oh, sorry. That wasn't very complimentary. Oh, here comes Uncle. Well, good morning, you two. Good morning, Mr. Medford. Morning, Uncle Peter. You look quite fit this morning, sir. Feeling splendidly. Had the best night's sleep, and I don't know how long. And how are you feeling, my child? Quite well, thank you, Uncle. Oh, uh, you remember our conversation of last evening? I mean, about you wanting to do something? Yes. I think I've got it for you. A friend of mine named Phineas Drake collects books, just purchased the library complete, wants someone to catalog it for him. Small pay, but not too difficult. Well, how does it sound to you? Oh, it sounds wonderful. It's just what I want. <laughs> Splendid. I'll call him again after breakfast. Can you imagine such an ambitious young girl, Alden? Wants to work, and she's only worth a cool million. Oh, not yet I'm not, Uncle Peter. Well, whenever you become of age, or whatever it said in your father's will. I thought you knew what it said. I won't inherit my cool million until I'm married. What was that, Miss Method? You see? Right away you put notions into his head. She said she won't come into her inheritance until she marries. Why her father made that strange provision, I shall never know. But, Marie, you stay your distance from this young man. Oh, Uncle Peter, you're making him embarrassed. <laughs> Can't an old man have his little joke? Anyway, with all the eligible young men you'll meet, poor Alden won't stand a chance. <laughs> oh, Peter, please. <laughs> oh, all right, all right, all right. Victor, uh, where are my eggs? Right here, sir. Oh, yes, soft-boiled eggs. Wretched diet. <sighs> Tell me, my dear. Did you find your room comfortable? Oh, yes, it's a lovely room. It's almost like a castle. Oh, I miss my old room. The one next to yours. I haven't been up there in over a month. One day soon, I'll have Victor and Alden carry me up those stairs just to see if the place looks the same. Victor, serve my niece some more coffee. Yes. Yes, of course, sir. going to have something to do, eh? Well, you're an intelligent girl. Should do well at your new assignment. It's harder work than you thought, though. Hours of scanning small print and copying down the individual histories of countless books. All goes well for several weeks. 
Then early one afternoon, you return home, Marie, to find your uncle as usual in his study. Why are you so upset, Marie? Marie, well, you're home early. You're not finished already. Finished as far as Mr. Phineas Drake is concerned. I, I can't understand it. I've done my work well. This afternoon, Mr. Drake came to me and said he had no further use for my services. What? Didn't explain why, just, just looked at me queerly and said he preferred someone else to finish the job. Well, that's strange. Oh, well, he's an old crank. Don't let this upset you. We'll find something else for you to do. No, 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 no. Don't you worry. But, but what, what's wrong with my work, Mr. Palanto? Surely it's been satisfactory. Well, you see, because of the uh, peculiar nature of my profession, I, I must have someone more experienced. Uh, I'm sorry, Miss Medford. But I didn't, Professor Hanley. I did exactly as you instructed. What on earth is wrong? <clears throat> uh, uh, you'll excuse me, Miss Medford, but uh, well, your ability as an assistant has not come up to standard. Listen, Dr. Humphrey, I've studied botany, and I've checked this manuscript most carefully. There's not a single mistake. Very sorry, Miss Medford, but they're not all acceptable. Have to get someone else. Why, I just can't understand it, Uncle Peter. Is there something wrong with me? Well, I, I shall certainly call Dr. Humphrey right away. Oh, no. No, I'd rather you didn't. But it was only the other day he telephoned me and said what an efficient secretary he thought you were. Something wrong somewhere. Oh, you, you know, Marie, I, I think I'd give up this idea of wanting to work. I haven't mentioned it to you, but you're really not looking your best lately. Well, to tell the truth, Uncle, I... I haven't been sleeping well. I had the most frightening nightmares. In fact, it's the same dream every night. Well, that's odd. What's the dream about? Well, I, uh, I keep seeing that little head. The one you said was called Charlie. Oh, dear. I, I suppose I made a mistake showing that to you on your first night. If you could only look upon Charlie as I do, you'd realize it is an animate dead with no power at all to do you harm. You build up a phobia about that head. Now, the thing to do is to destroy that fear by facing it. You come along with me, my dear. You mean in there again? It's the only way. Now, come along. Oh, no, Uncle Peter. I know what I'm doing. Open that door, Marie. I'm going to make you realize how foolish you've been. Over here, my dear. Oh, I know you think I'm being cruel, but I know my psychology. I... Why, that's strange. What is it, Uncle Peter? Why, somebody's broken into this case. Ring for Victor and get Alden here at once. Something missing? Somebody has deliberately taken that head. <laughs> so Charlie is missing, eh? Wonder who could have broken the lock and lifted the little head from its black velvet pad. <laughs> I wonder. <laughs> but now, several nights have passed. Still, the head called Charlie has not reappeared. 
Marie has just taken a sedative her Uncle Peter gave her and is now lying on her bed, tossing fretfully, praying for sleep. <laughs> sleep, Marie. Tonight? Oh, dear heaven. No dreams tonight. Let me get some sleep. No. My name's Charlie. No. My name's Charlie. No. Yes, Marie. Open your eyes and look at me. No. You're no. holding me in your hands, Marie. Child, no one will ever know. You can depend upon me. I won't leave you. 
From tonight on, I shall be taken upstairs, and I'll stay near you. Knowing that which afflicts us gives us a weapon with which to fight it. Just you rely upon me, my dear. and never come back. All the impudence. Alden, explain yourself. I'll be glad to, sir. I think Miss Medford is in danger of losing her sanity as well as her life. What is all this poppycock? Are you trying to frighten my niece? Lord knows she's been through enough. She's been through too much. If she weren't made of pretty stout stuff, she'd have been a gibbering idiot by this time. Alden, you're packing your things and leaving at once. Leaving? I'm afraid you're wrong, sir. I'm not leaving. Not yet. Maybe you're leaving. Now, Mr. Alden, what's the meaning of this? I'm sorry to break it to you this way, but I'm definitely convinced your uncle is a diabolical fiend. I can take so much and no more. Look here, Alden. If you know what's good for you, you'll leave here at once. At once, you hear? You're pretty anxious to get rid of me, but it's too late. Miss Medford, you remember your father's will. You'd come into your money only if you married. Well, if you didn't marry, Uncle Peter would get the money. And if he could prove you were insane, you'd never be able to marry. You see how it all works out? Well, how dare you, Mr. Listen Alden? Listen to that maniac. Listen to me, Miss Medford. Your uncle, your loving uncle, was the one who telephoned your employers and told them you were crazy. Phineas Drake and all the others told me so today. I don't believe lies, it. Lies, lies, Why, your uncle even told me you were crazy. I know what's happened. He himself smashed the lock and took the head from its case and planted it last night in your room. If you'll stand on a chair and look above your bed as I did this afternoon, you'll see a small radio loudspeaker. It's hooked up to a microphone in the back stairs hallway. The voice you heard was your Uncle Peter. I don't believe you. Last night, after you came out in the hallway, your Uncle Peter grabbed up the head, stepped out onto that balcony, and climbed down the vines to his study. Why, he's as mad as a March hare. How could I possibly be a party to such a monstrous plot? Why, I can't even walk. Look, look at this here, a piece of Charlie's ear. I found it in Marie's room. That proves she wasn't dreaming, and it fits perfectly. I've tried it. Why, you... Give me that ear. Give it to me! Uncle Peter, you're walking. Give it to me! Uh, look at him, Marie, standing unaided. Does that prove anything to you? Uncle Peter. Oh, then it's true. All right. All right, it's true. I can walk. But you are insane, Marie. Insane. You'll never marry anyone, Marie. I'll see to that. Victor, grab him. Don't move, Mr. Medford. Easy now. Don't believe what Holden says. You're crazy, Marie. There's no escaping it. You'll have those dreams, and Charlie will visit you every night. You'll hear him saying, My name's Charlie. My name's Charlie. My name's Charlie. Hold him, Victor. 
got him, sir. Oh, I think you're the one who's crazy, Medford. Maybe that could be proved. Take your hands off me. Just take it easy now, Mr. Medford. Take it easy. There's nothing wrong with me. You know it. Is the car ready, Victor? Yes, it's ready. Come in, gentlemen. These are the officers. Yeah, then you'd better take him away. Yes, sir. Please come quietly, Mr. Medford. I'm not crazy. I'm not. Oh, no. You're lying on me. You're lying. Lying. You hear? You're lying. I'm terribly sorry about this, Marie. Terribly sorry. But it's all for the best. How can it be for the best? But think what this means. He's my father's brother, and if he's insane, then... Then it means that I might be too... Friends in the family. No, no, don't worry, Marie. Don't worry, you're safe. You're perfectly normal, I know. No? Yes. You see, he wasn't your real uncle. He was your father's foster brother. I found proof. So you see, you've nothing, nothing in the world to fear. How do you know that? Someday, Marie, I'll tell you all about it. Tomorrow, maybe. Why don't you tell her now, Clay? Tell her why you were working as Peter Medford's secretary. Because your father was Peter's partner. His partner. That your father was ruined in business by Peter and killed himself. Killed himself in disgrace. That you suspected him of having cheated your father. That you came to find the evidence and discovered in time Peter's diabolical plan to prevent Marie from ever marrying. Better tell her, Clay. <laughs> I will. <laughs> has presented The Whistler. Original music for this production was composed and conducted by Wilbur Hatch. Tonight's Whistler story was written by Joseph Kearns, directed by J. Donald Wilson, and originated from Columbia Square in Hollywood. Next week, same time... I, the Whistler, will return to tell you the strange story of the curse. Good night. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. Have you heard the Whistler... I must kill Henry. I must kill Henry. That was Ambrose Brent, official of an airplane plant. He found strange notes in the night. You better get away, Ambrose. Take a good long rest. The sooner the better. That was Henry Pierce, Ambrose's partner. He was growing fearful of Ambrose. Get this prescription filled, Ambrose. It'll make you sleep. And you'd better get away. And that was Ambrose's friend, Dr. Fenwick. And this is Ambrose's wife, Doris. What's happened, Ambrose? Look at me. What have you done? Another Saturday night, and again, CBS presents... 
The Whistler. And I, the Whistler, know many things, for I walk by night. I know many strange tales, many secrets hidden in the hearts of men and women who've stepped into the shadows. I know the nameless terrors of which they dare not speak. And so I tell you tonight the strange story of Notes in the Night. A storm rages wildly over the countryside. Beyond that long row of trees stands a lonely house half hidden in the darkness of the night. Not a single light appears from any of its many windows. But up there in that room with the large window, a man stirs fretfully in his sleep. The man is Ambrose Brent, an official of an airplane plant. But it's not the storm that stirs his uneasy slumber. It's something else, something far more sinister, something that has happened many times in the past few weeks. Oh, he stirs again, moans loudly, and suddenly sits bolt upright in his huge bed. Who's there? Who's there, I say? It's funny. I swore I heard something. I swear I felt someone in the room. Turn on the lamp, Ambrose. You'll see. I can't imagine what's happening to me. It's just nerves, I guess. It's just... Good Lord. Another note. Another one. I must kill Henry. I must kill Henry. That's the third note this week in my own handwriting. I've got to do something. I've got to tell someone. Henry's my best friend. Oh, it's nervous. I know. I'll call Dr. Fenwick. Doc will know what's wrong. A Fairchild uh, 1834W. Yes. Hello? Is uh, Dr. Fenwick in? Uh, no, Dr. Fenwick isn't in. He can be reached at Walnut 2380. Walnut 2380? That's Henry Pierce's number. I can't go there. If there's anything to this, I must stay away from Henry. I've got to see Dr. Fenwick. Wait till morning. Doc, I've got to talk with you. Of course, Ambrose. Why not? What's up? Something's wrong with me. Terribly wrong. Oh, yeah? Read this note. Note? Hmm. I must kill Henry. Henry? I must kill Henry? I don't get it. What is this to do with your trouble? I wrote it. You did? Well, really? And uh, why did you write it? I don't know. I don't remember writing it, but I know it's in my own writing. And that's it. Who's Henry? Henry Pierce. Who else? <clears throat> Have you been drinking, Ambrose? Not a drop, I swear. Well, uh, look, old boy, you'd best sit down. Ah, that's better. Now, uh, when did you write this? I don't know. I found six notes just like that. Six? Where? On the nightstand beside my bed. Are you sure it's your writing? Well, doesn't it look like it? Yeah, certainly does. Uh, tell me, how many hours have you been putting in at the plant lately? Oh, too many. I'd better give you a thorough going over, Ambrose. But why should I write such notes? I don't know. Mine plays queer tricks on us sometimes under undue strain. Better slow down. That's my best prescription. Take it easy. Get out of town as soon as possible. Yes. 
Yes, I guess you're right. Here, I'll give you something for your nerves. Thanks. Doctor, you... You don't think I'm losing my mind, do you? No, Ambrose. You're just terribly upset, that's all. Ah, yeah. Here's your prescription. You better get it filled tonight. Thanks. I'll leave Saturday. You don't think there's anything wrong with me? Mentally, I mean. <laughs> if you're in town after Saturday night, I'll drag you out with my own two hands. Good night, Doc. Good night, Ambrose. Sleep tight. And uh, don't think about anything. Ambrose, why don't you take a little vacation? What do you mean, Henry? Have you been talking to Doc Fenwick? Fenwick? Of course you have. He told you all about it. About what? I feel better than I've felt in years. I'm in excellent condition. Do you hear? Certainly I hear. What's wrong with you, Ambrose? Nothing. If you act like this, I'll be forced to agree with Doc Fenwick. What has he said? He just said you were overworked. Well, he doesn't know everything. Ambrose, you'll please me very much if you'll take a little vacation. Did Doc Fenwick tell you what was bothering me? Yes, he did, Ambrose, and I think you'd better get away as soon as possible. Oh, I'm sorry, Ambrose, but don't worry. Everything will be all right. Then you... You're not worried? You're not upset about it? Certainly not. Why should I be? Please believe me, Henry. I wouldn't do such a thing. I, I've never even thought of such a thing. I'd kill myself first. You you do believe me, don't you? Huh? Why, of course I do. Of course. I wouldn't kill you. I have no reason. Shall I drive you home, Ambrose? No. No, I'll get home. I'd better leave tomorrow, hadn't I? I'll go up to my place in the mountains. There's no one there. My wife has gone to Palm Beach. Yes, Ambrose. You better leave tomorrow. Yes. Doris will be back from Palm Beach in three weeks. That'll be long enough. I'm sure you'll find things different when you return. Quite different. Good night, Henry. Goodbye, Ambrose. Sleep tight and don't think about anything. <laughs> Suddenly, Ambrose stirs fretfully in his slumber. He wakes and again sits up staring into the inky blackness of his silent room. <laughs> Turn on the light, Ambrose. Turn on the light. Who is it? Who's there? Good Lord. Another one. I must kill Henry. Jameson. Jameson! I've got to get hold of myself. This is ridiculous. Jameson! I'm losing my mind. I must be. Did you call me, sir? Yes. Yes, I called you. I thought I heard a scream. A scream? No, I... Uh... What time is it? It's long after midnight, sir. It's two o'clock. Two o'clock? Oh. Pack my bag. Order my plane to be ready in 30 minutes. Where are you going, sir? It doesn't matter. Uh, yes, sir. I've got to get away. I've got to. 2.15. I must get I must. I'm mad. I must be. Jameson! Jameson! The car is at the door, sir. Then come on with the bag. Where are you going, sir? I don't know where I'm going, Jameson. Understand? Yes, sir. I understand. Good night, Jameson. Goodbye, sir.
is it? What do you want? Come in. Ambrose, is that you? What on earth are you doing here at 2.30 in the morning? What's wrong? I say, what's wrong with you? I must kill Henry. I must kill Henry. Ambrose, put up that gun. No, no, don't, Ambrose. Don't. I must kill Henry. Don't, you're mad. Don't come near me. Don't. Ambrose. I want Dr. Fenwick in New York. Fairchild, 1834W. Please. It's uh, Dr. Fenwick's residence. Uh, make it person to person. Uh, this is Crestline, 142. I've got to talk to someone. I've got to. I can't stand this... this silence. This, this being alone. Hello? Oh, I see. No, no, never mind. I'll call tomorrow. Put up your hands. Don't move. Doris. Ambrose. What on earth? What are you doing here? Why, What are you doing here? I thought you were in Palm Beach. What are you doing up here in the mountains? I changed my mind. I decided to come up here. Why didn't you let me know? I didn't think about it. I was going to phone you in the morning. Well, how did you find time to get away from the plant? I thought you were too busy to eat. Well, I... Uh, I decided I needed to rest. So I... Uh... It's an early hour to arrive. 5 a.m. Is it? Well, you... Uh, you see, it occurred to me on the spur of the moment. I, I flew up. Well, what are you staring at? I'm not staring, Andrew. What's wrong? What's happened? Nothing. I, I came up here because... Because What? What are you talking about, Ambrose? Are you ill? Yes. Yes, that's it. I, I'm ill, very ill. Yes. Get the doctor. What doctor? There's no doctor near here. Get Dr. Fenwick. He knows. Dr. Fenwick? He's the only one who knows. Except Henry. Are you out of your mind? No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. Do you hear? It's a lie, a lie. I'm not crazy. I won't be crazy. Oh. Oh, Doris, what's happened to me? What's happened? Oh, poor Henry. <laughs> Ambrose, look at me. What have you done? What have you done? Let me alone. I'm going to bed. I, I want to get some sleep. Oh, oh, I've done nothing. Nothing. What's that? Wake up, Doris. What? Hmm? That noise. I didn't hear him. I did. Hear it? There it is again. There's someone coming there. They are at the door. There's no one. You see? I'm not here. I haven't been here. You don't know where I am. Do you understand? Yes, yes, I understand. Doc. Doc, it's you. Oh. Hello, Doris. Hello, Doctor. Did you get my call? You did, didn't you? Now, Ambrose, take it easy. Everything's going to be all right. Don't get excited. All right? What do you mean? You've got a 50-to-1 chance to pull out of this. Pull out? Certainly. 
I know you're mentally upset. You have been for weeks. I'll swear to that. I have records. I'll appear on your side. You'll get out of it. Out of it? Out of what? You're not a killer. Killer? What did you say? What did you say? I said you weren't a killer. I understand your case perfectly. Yes. I'm sorry to say Henry is dead. He died about 2.30 in the morning, as closely as can be determined. From all indications, the police think he committed suicide. But he didn't. He didn't. You know he didn't. He may have. Then why did you come here? I thought this is where you'd come, and I was right. What does this mean, Doctor? It means that if Henry's dead, I killed him. I must have. Must have? Are you positive? Yes, who else could it be? I've written notes to myself for weeks. Doc knows. He, he knows all about it. Do you? Yes. But I didn't think it would come to this. But why did you do such a thing? He was your best friend. I know it. But if he was dead, I, I must have done it. But why did you do it? I don't know. No, no, please, please, don't upset me. He wasn't responsible. I am responsible. I did it. And I'm going back. No, Ambrose. Stay here till I send for you. I have a talk with you. No. I'm going back this morning. I can't believe such a thing. Doris, why do you look at me like that? Please, I, I don't know why I did it. Doris, don't you believe me? I... I don't know. I don't know. Tell her, Doc. Tell her. Tell her what? Tell her the truth. Tell her I didn't do it for a reason. Explain to her how it was. You know how it happened. Go on, tell her. Tell her. Come now, old boy. This is not helping you. What'll I do with me? Why? Well, now, look. It's, it's early yet. It's nine o'clock. You'd better try to get some sleep in this afternoon. I'll take you back to the city and make arrangements for you to go someplace where you can have a nice rest. What kind of a place? Why, a rest home. I know a nice, quiet place. You don't mean a rest home. I know what you're thinking. You mean an asylum. You think I'm insane, both of you. Now, now, Ambrose. Well... Why don't you say it? Ambrose, if you don't control yourself, something will happen to you. I won't go on asy- to an asylum. Do you hear? Do you hear me? Stop it. I won't stop it. You don't care about me. You're both cold and heartless. You want me to be locked up, both of you. Ambrose, please. Please, calm down. Keep away from him, Doris. See? Keep away from him. He's a dangerous lunatic. A killer. You don't calm down. I'll have to use force. You try it. You just try it. I'm going out that door, and don't you try to stop me. You run away like this, you stamp yourself as a hopeless lunatic. They'll find you. They won't find me, and I won't be locked up. Ambrose, please. No, I'll kill myself first. You're a fool, Ambrose. A mad fool. really made a mess of things. (laughs) You're a fugitive now. They'll throw out a dragnet. You'll have to run and hide and sneak, afraid of every shadow. You'll have to run, Ambrose. Hide and sneak and run for the rest of your days. (laughs) Ambrose Brent, (laughs) fugitive. Five feet eight, 150 pounds. Brown hair. Blue eyes. Wanted for murder. 
padded cell. Lunatic. Padded cell. Lunatic. <laughs> hurry, Ambrose, hurry. More gas. Step on it. What's that? A sign, Ambrose, and a red flag swinging in the road. Two men in black rubber coats. Too late to turn around now. What's your hurry, mister? I'm pretty fast for a storm like this, ain't you? Who are you? What do you want? State police. What are you stopping me for? We're stopping everybody. Why? We're looking for someone. Looking for someone? Who? A fugitive. A murderer? We didn't say what he'd done. Let's have a look at your driver's license. Driver's license? Why, uh, I, uh... That's funny. I must have... I left it in your other suit, huh? Step <laughs> out. Let's have a look at you. Hey, hey, you, come back here. What's eating him? He must be nuts. Why, I could have plugged him, but I just shot in the air. Just as well. He wasn't Mike Coretti. Mike could make two of him. Know where you are now? Recognize this room? That's right. It's the room of death where Henry was murdered the night before. His body has been removed, but the pad on his desk is still there, smeared with a large brown stain. There are five people in the room, Dr. Fenwick and Doris Brent, Jameson the Brent's butler, Inspector Fields, and Carnes of the district attorney's office. The inspector is speaking. District attorney Carnes had an appointment with Henry Pierce. It was he who discovered the body this morning. Pierce had been dead about seven hours. Right, Mr. Carnes? That's right, Inspector Fields. We attempted to reach Mr. Brent and were told by Jameson, the butler, that he'd left town at two in the morning. He told us about the place in the mountains, and uh, there we reached you, Mrs. Brent. You've no idea where your husband is, Mrs. Brent? Not the slightest. Your butler said you had gone to Palm Beach. Yes, I started for Palm Beach, but I changed my mind and went to the mountains. And your husband came there last night? Yes, it was about five in the morning. Nine o'clock. I flew up to the cabin got there a few minutes before nine. Why did you go there, Doctor? Well, I advised Ambrose to take a rest. He's been working too hard and was heading for a nervous breakdown. When I learned of Henry's death, I went to tell him about it. Doctor, you visited Henry Pierce here last evening. I did. He phoned me to come over. I got here about 11. He'd made a new will and wanted me to witness it and asked if I would serve as executor. I read it and signed it. I see. In whose favor was the will drawn? Well, the old will left everything to Ambrose. Henry had no living relative. But because of Ambrose's mental condition, he decided to leave everything to Doris, Mrs. Brent. That's correct. I found the will on the desk. Was Ambrose Brent your patient? Yes, of course. What was his trouble? Too much work. He had a great responsibility. Did you think he was losing his mind? No. Did he think so? Well, he was terribly upset. He'd been having hallucinations. Doctor, when was the last time you saw him prior to finding him in the mountains? The evening before Henry died. I wrote him a prescription. Mm -hmm. And where did you go after you left Henry Pierce last night? I told my servants that I was going out of town for a holiday, but it was storming so when I left Henry that I decided to stay at my club. Mrs. Brent, did your husband and Mr. Pierce ever quarrel? Not to my knowledge. They were the best of friends. I see. Have you told us all you know, Dr. Fenton? No. 
and I think you should. What was it that bothered Ambrose Brink? Well, he said he had been writing himself notes. They were all alike in his own handwriting and all said the same thing. I must kill Henry. I didn't know this. Certainly not. That was the patient's private business. I thought that if I could get him away for a rest, he'd pull out of it. There you are, Carnes. Must have been on his mind. Yes, but what's the motive? An unbalanced mind that doesn't always need a motive. Then you think Ambrose did it? He loved Henry like a brother. If he did it, he was completely out of his mind. Believe me. Ambrose! What? Well, thank heaven you finally came to your senses. Come in, Mr. Brent. I suppose you want to see me? I'm Inspector Fields, Police Department. This is Mr. Carnes of the District Attorney's Office. Yes, I know Mr. Carnes. I thought you'd gone on a little vacation, Mr. Brent. I had gone, but not on a vacation. Mr. Pierce told me you'd gone for a couple of weeks. I was gonna, uh, going on a vacation, but something changed my mind. Oh? What was that? You know. You know why I've come back. Henry's dead and I killed him. When did you kill him? I don't know. Must have been last night. Why did you do it? I wish I knew. I recall neither the crime nor the motive. But I'm sure I did it. Why are you so sure you did it? Because of these notes, six of them. I've been writing notes to myself for weeks. Read them. Are they... Are they in your own handwriting? Certainly. But I don't remember writing a one. I must have some form of amnesia. Hmm? When I heard Henry was dead, I... I tried to run away. I couldn't stand the thought of an asylum, but... The faster I ran, the more I hated myself, so I came back to get it over with. It's a great relief. I don't know, Mr. Brent. Pose yourself. Mr. Brent, did you know that Henry Pierce made a new will last night, leaving his estate to your wife? What? Why should he do that? Perhaps he was worried about you. Of course. Why shouldn't he be? He knew I was acting strangely. Take a look at this will. Is that Henry's signature? Certainly. You're sure it isn't your writing? It is not. I couldn't copy his signature if I tried. It's just a bunch of scrawls. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, Mr. Brent, uh, take this pad and write on it, I must kill Henry. Please, isn't that being a bit brutal? Go ahead, write it. There you are. Good. Now write the date on it. They weren't dated. Well, write it anyway. Write the date in numerals. Don't name the month. There it is. Thank you. Now, you write the same, Mrs. Brent. There. Thanks. Now, you, Dr. Fenwick. There you are. Mm-hmm. Well, the notes you've got were certainly in your own handwriting, Mr. Brent. I told you that. Why waste so much time? I came back to get it over with. I'm tired. Uh, there, you need some sleep, old man. You'll feel better after you had a nap. I can't sleep. I haven't slept for days. You should have. You've been taking that medicine I gave you. I didn't get it. I didn't want to sleep. I, I just wanted to get away. Here's the prescription still in my pocket. Prescription? May May I see it, please? Thank you. Hmm. What is this medicine, Doctor? It's intended to induce sleep. But he's so stubborn he wouldn't take it. If he had, this wouldn't have happened. Inspector, take a look at this note written just now by Mr. Brent. I must kill Henry. And the date. 5-14-42. May the 14th, 1942. Now, Mrs. Brent's note. I must kill Henry. 
five, fourteen, forty-two. The same. Mm-hmm. And now, Doctor Fenwick. I must kill Henry. Fourteen, five, forty-two. Now read the date on the will. Fourteen, five, forty-two. What does that mean? There aren't fourteen months. And now look at the date on this prescription. Fourteen, five, forty-two. Well, I'll be darned. What does it mean? It means that Dr. Fenwick was educated in Europe, where they indicate the day of the month first, then the month. The 14th day of the fifth month. What? Are you crazy? Are you accusing me of this? It means that the doctor, not Henry, wrote this will, and if he wrote the will, he must have killed Henry Pierce. And if he killed Henry, he must have had a motive. And I've guessed that motive. I am out of your mind. What motive would I have? You also wrote those notes and left them for Ambrose to find. You're an expert at handwriting, Dr. Fenwick. You figured that Ambrose would be declared insane. And Henry's, as well as Ambrose's property, would go to Doris with you as executor in complete control. I don't believe it. Ridiculous. And this is what I hate to say at this moment, but I think it's true. Dr. Fenwick, tell him about you and Mrs. Brent. That's a lie. Tell him, Doctor. That's what's back of the whole thing. You're stuck. You might as well tell him. All right. All right, I wrote the will. I wrote the notes. I am in love with Doris. I have been for years. She was in love with me. Doris. I'm sorry, Andrew. But she had nothing to do with Henry's death. Not a thing. I came here that night disguised as Ambrose. Henry didn't hear my voice. I only whispered. He thought it was you. That's all. Sorry, Doris. Stop it! Lord. Well, the doctor is dead. The doctor's dead, yes. But that's not all, not quite. There's something troubling the inspector, and you, Ambrose, and you too, Doris. How was it that Mr. Carnes first got wise to the doctor? How did the doctor slip up? How did he show his hand? I know. And so does District Attorney Carnes. Go ahead, Mr. Carnes. Tell us. Well, the doctor said he had gone to the cabin to tell Ambrose of Henry's death. He arrived at the cabin at 9 a.m. I didn't discover the body till 10 a.m. and gave strict orders that it was not to be announced until we'd inspected everything thorough. Therefore, the only way the doctor could have known about the murder was to have been present when it happened. So, you see, the doctor didn't go to the cabin to inform Ambrose. He went there to meet Doris. And when he was surprised by Ambrose, he used the death of Henry as an excuse for his coming. (laughs) CBS has presented... The Whistler. Original music for this production was composed and conducted by Wilbur Hatch. Tonight's Whistler story was written and directed by J. Donald Wilson and originated from Columbia Square in Hollywood. Next week, same time, I, The Whistler will return to tell you the incredible story of the draft of death. Good night. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System.
Wait a minute. Have you heard the weird tales of the Whistler? I'm the Whistler. Here's the sanitarium, Harvey. Is he still unconscious? Yes. Here comes the attendant. We're all ready for him, Mrs. Jackson. Take his feet, Harold. Oh, had to tie him, eh? Yes, I had to give him a good one on the chin. You'll have to watch him. He may try to get away when he comes to. Don't worry, we've got a lot of tough cases here. Don't let him know who brought him here. And don't let him know I had anything to do with it. Leave everything to us. It's a two-hour drive back to the city, Donna. Yes, sir. Well, I'll, I'll phone you tomorrow. Good. If anything happens, we'll call you. Thank you. Uh, good night. Saturday night, and again, CBS presents The Whistler. I, The Whistler, know many things, for I walk by night. I know many strange tales. I know many secrets hidden in the hearts of men and women who have stepped into the shadows. And so I tell you tonight the mysterious tale of death has a thirst. The long black car with a handsome man at the wheel and the woman beside him returns to the highway and speeds on through the night. The man and woman sit staring ahead, lost in thought. The man is Harvey Davis. The woman, Mrs. Victor Jackson, wife of the unconscious man recently deposited at the sanitarium. I'm sorry I dragged you into this, Harvey. But I had to have some help, and I knew I could depend on you. It's all right, Donna. I only hope it'll do some good. Victor never drank a drop while we were in school. He didn't drink when we were first married. But after his father died and Victor took over the business, he started. It's a huge concern, and I guess he just couldn't take it. He's always had an inferiority complex. But the thing that hurts me most is that the drinking has completely changed him. Why, well, he's suspicious of every move I make. He accuses me of the most disgraceful things. Accuses me of lying to him about everything and of, of being in love with, with other men. Oh, countless things. Other men? <laughs> what men? Any man I speak to. <laughs> Even you, Harvey. Me? Well, after all, if he's going to be suspicious of any man, it would logically be me. Why? You've brought most of your troubles to me. He knows that. I'm as good a victim as any. He knows I'm terribly fond of you. Are you, Harvey? From the first day I met you, I said, here's a woman, a strong woman. Maybe she'll develop some backbone in my willy-nilly friend, Victor. That's very nicely put, Harvey. Let's hope the sanitarium does him some good. If it doesn't, I don't know what I'll do. Don't worry, Donna. Just remember, I'll do anything for you. Thank you, Harvey. About midnight, the black sedan arrives at the Jackson mansion. The butler greets Harvey and Donna at the door. Evening, Mrs. Jackson. Evening, Mr. Davis. Evening. Uh, Dr. Saunders is in the library, ma'am. He's waiting for you. Dr. Saunders at this hour? What on earth does he want? You'd better see him, Donna. Maybe he knows. How could he? Come with me, Harvey. Of course. 
Oh, good evening, Dr. Saunders. Good evening, Donna. Evening, Harvey. Hello, Doctor. This is quite a surprise. I can imagine. I, um... Um, Harvey and I, we've just been for a little drive. I felt I needed some air. All right, so? Um, did you come to see Victor? Uh, Victor isn't here. Really? But I know where he is. You do? He's in a cheap dive of a rooming house downtown. What? But that's impossible. That's where he always goes. Well, you're wrong this time, Doctor. I took him by force to a sanitarium tonight. Harvey, help me. Maybe they can do something for him. You told the sanitarium that I was his physician, didn't you? Yes. Well, they called me an hour ago. He's escaped. <gasps> what? Oh. They said he came to and broke away from them. I know where he usually goes, and I can find him. If you want me to find him. Well, what are you inferring, Doctor? Donna, I know what you've been through with Victor. I know what a trial it's been. I've tried, and you've tried. We've all tried everything we could do to make him stop. Not many women would have put up with what you have. We've dragged him through before. We probably can do it again. I just thought, well, maybe you'd had enough. You do know where he is? Yes, I'm pretty sure I know. Well, then find him. I'm, de I'm determined to cure him if I have to take him to a desert island. That's an idea. A long ocean trip might be the answer. Should have to hog time. I could do that, too. Very well, I'll have a talk with him. I'll phone you in the morning. Good night. Good night, Doctor. Oh, Harvey. No, no, no. You've done your best, Donna. Oh, but I feel so hopeless. I don't know what to do. <laughs> Try the desert island. Why not? Harvey, it might work, mightn't it? You can help. Your yacht. Dr. Saunders may be right. Oh, at least it's worth a try. I wonder. Please, Harvey, it may be the answer. I can't get away just now, but... If you're determined, you're welcome to the aunt. Oh, please, I, I'd feel better if you came along. All right, Donna. I'll go. I'll arrange it. But he won't want to come. We'll take him aboard by force. Shanghai? Well, all right. Just let me know when you find him, and I'll arrange everything. <sighs> He sure was plastered. Well, I'll leave you alone with him, Doctor. Thanks. That high pole will bring him out of this. Victor. Victor. What? What? What's going on here? Who are you? Get away. Quiet, quiet. Take it easy, Victor. Huh? Who, who are you? Doc Saunders. Doc? Oh, what you want? I want to talk to you, Victor. It's very important. Yeah. Important. Come on, Victor. Snap out of it. Okay. Hey, hey. What's the idea? What'd you slap me for? To wake you up. I've got to talk to you. Oh. Oh, hello, Doc. What are you after? Is your head clear? Uh, I guess so. Well, then listen to me. You know where you are? Yeah. Yeah, my old haunt. You know how you got here? No. Let me see. I... No, I, I can't seem to remember. Well, I'll tell you where you're going. You don't pull yourself together. Where? To the insane asylum. Did you say asylum? I did. I haven't told you this. But your great-grandfather died insane. What? And that was your father's greatest fear, that he would be a victim. Oh. And there's nothing that hastens final mental breakdown more than alcohol. Insanity? Uh, are you just telling me that? No, I can prove it. Good Lord. 
Do you want that to happen to you? Well, no, no. Oh, but I... Well, I, I just can't seem to quit. You're going away, Vic. Away? Where? I'm sending you on a long voyage with no liquor. Oh, no. No, you're not. No, no, no. I'll get hold of myself. You said that before. I can take it or leave it alone if I want to. What you haven't so far. You've gone from bad to worse. Now you're going where you can't get it. But, Doc, I, I can't. I'd die. I, I couldn't stand it. You'll stand it and like it. If I have to kill you. No. No, I won't be pushed around by anyone. I know who's back of this, Donna. She wants to get rid of me. Asylum, yeah. Yeah, that'd suit her fine. She'd like that. So she can cavort around with Harvey and all the others. Shut up, Vic. You're all planning to get rid of me. You don't like me. You're taking a trip. Get rid of me and you all share in the estate. Well, you'll see how much good it'll do. But you are taking a trip, Victor. (laughs) And now, here you are, Victor. Several hundred miles at sea. And worried, too, aren't you, Victor? That talk about insanity really upsets you. You believe it, too. Don't you? (laughs) Uh, What's this? Where am I? Donna. Do you feel better? What is this? It's moving. I, I feel dizzy. I don't think you're dizzy. We're on a boat, darling. What boat? We're on a boat in the middle of the ocean. A boat? Doc Saunders. That's what he said. A, a voyage. It's his oh, idea. Oh, now, Victor. Everything's going to be all right. I know what you're planning to do. You're planning to kill me. You want to get rid of me. Want me to die. You won't die. Whose boat is this? Harvey's yacht. Harvey. Now I know it's a plot. Now I know what it's all about. You and Harvey, that's it. Oh, don't be ridiculous, Victor. Harvey consented to let me have the yacht. Is he on board? Yes. Of course. You and Harvey and me a prisoner. What a perfect setup. You don't mean that, Victor. I've been suspicious of you two all along. Who else is on board? Nobody but the captain and the crew of four. And Harvey and the doctor. Where are you taking me? We're just cruising. Just cruising. Till you find the right spot. Right spot for what? To dump me overboard. No one will ever know, will they? And you'll say I jumped over. I was washed over the side. Oh, Victor, what has happened to you? You're like a stranger to me. I... I just don't know you. It doesn't seem possible that you're the man I married. My darling, what's happened to you? Don't you know? If I only did. Why, I'm crazy. Insane. Surely you knew that. My great-grandfather was insane, and my grandfather, and undoubtedly my father, so why not me? You're talking nonsense. No. Hasn't Doc Saunders told you what he knows? No. Oh, come now. You three are closer than that. Stop talking such nonsense. I won't listen. Uh, I'm getting out of this cabin. I can't stand to be cooked up like this. No, no, please stay here for a while, Victor. Please. Here, I... I brought you some milk. Please drink it. Milk? Ah. Got a funny color to it. And it smells strange. What's in it, arsenic? It's just plain milk, Victor. Now drink it. Do you like milk, Donna? Yes, I love milk. Then drink it yourself! Victor! Oh, all over my dress. You're trying to poison me, that's it. Now get out of here. Get out! Oh, Victor, please, darling. Get out! Oh, what do you want, Doc? How do you feel, Victor? They're trying to kill me. They plan to kill me. Who? Donna and Harvey. 
She just brought me some milk and it had poison in it. I could tell by the color. I think you're imagining things, Victor. No, no, I'm not. They want me out of the way, I can tell. What made you think the milk was poison? It, it was a purplish color. Here, here's the glass. Smell it. Hmm. Mm, maybe I'm not so crazy after all. I didn't all. say you were crazy. I only want you to stop drinking. Drink may bring it on. Doc, where would they get poison? Oh, come now, forget it. Do you know where they get poison, Doc? I'll see you later, Victor. Maybe. Did you send for me, Doctor? Yes. Did you take some milk to Victor? Yes, I did. What'd you put in it? Why should I put anything in it? Victor thinks you did. You should know me better than that, Doctor. You did put something in it. Oh, yes, I did. Some of that red liquid to make him quiet. Oh, yes, of course, that's what it was. And he threw it all over me. Oh, I... I'm thoroughly disgusted, Doctor. I... I can't go on with him this way. He isn't drinking, but... There's something wrong. I decided to give it up as a bad job. I... I'm going to get a Divorce? Divorce? I'm afraid it's too late for that, Donna. Too late? Why, what do you mean? Well, there's something I haven't told you. I've been hoping it wouldn't be necessary. But after today, I've given up all hope. Why can't I get a divorce? You can't get a divorce from an insane person. Insane? Good heavens. There's been a secret in Victor's family for several generations. Not even Victor knew it. It touched his father ever so lightly, but Victor has all the symptoms. And the liquor has hastened the crack out. I couldn't be certain as long as he was drinking. But today, I realized the truth. Well, I'm bewildered. I've never been so shocked in my life. I, I wish you hadn't told me. I'm sorry, Donna. I wanted you to be on your guard. He has some strange hallucination about you and Harvey. He thinks you're planning to do away with him. Do away with him? Oh, but that's ridiculous. I... I've never had such a thought. Never. Oh, but now I am frightened. Doctor, what about Alice? Your daughter's only eight years old. There are no symptoms, and it may miss her entirely. But think what this will mean if, if this gets out about Victor. Why, it may ruin her whole life. I understand that. That must never happen. It must remain a secret. That'll be difficult. It's going to be hard to handle when that craving returns. Yes, he will. I'll think of something. I'll find a way. Come quickly. It's Harvey Davis. What's wrong, Captain? Found him in his bunk with a cord around his neck. Good heavens. Sit quiet, Donna. Come along. Is he dead? No, he's breathing. Found him just in time. He'll be all right in a few minutes. Thank heaven. Harvey, Harvey. Harvey. Uh, Donna, what, what's wrong? What, what's happened? Nothing much, Harvey. Just a little accident. You'll be all right. Oh, my throat. What's going on? You don't remember? No, I was... I was taking a little nap. I, I feel as though I'd been choked. Better tell him, Donna. Come along, Captain. Any liquor aboard, Captain? Yes, Doctor. Several bottles in the locker in my cabin. Let's have a look. I keep it locked because, uh... Hey, it's been jimmied. Well, what do you know? It's all gone. I expected that. I'll skin those men alive. Don't, don't blame the men, Captain. What do you mean? <laughs> What the devil is that? We did something. Come on. 
What is it, man? What's wrong with you? The boilers blew up. We must have hit a reef. All three of the men of the crew were down there. We've got to abandon. I, I'm, I'm hurt bad, Captain. He's dead. See to the lifeboat. Round up the others. I'll go below. Yes, Captain. Murphy! John! Murphy! Are you there? Good Lord, what a mess. I can't imagine the... Two days pass. The sun beats down relentlessly on the five survivors in the open boat. The doctor watches anxiously over the still unconscious captain. Donna and Harvey keep a constant eye on Victor, who sits alone in the end of the boat, staring at the horizon. How's the captain, Doctor? Still holding his own. Must have had a bad fall down that companionway. I don't think he fell. Good thing you went down after him. We're running low on water. I hope we sight some land today. How much water have you left in your canteen, Donna? Couple. Hey, look over there. What's that? Why, it's a ship. No, it's land. An island. Grab an oar, Victor. Come on, Doc. Well, I've looked all around. Places as barren of food and water as the Sahara Desert. I'm afraid if we do locate any water, it won't be fit to drink. There must be water. What do you care about water? You've got a canteen full of whiskey. How much water is left? I have some, and Dr. Saunders has some. So I'd better get busy. Although my experiences on these islands uh, haven't been so good. Here's a chance to put your chemistry to use, Harvey. You know the test for lead and zinc? Yes. I'll give you two vials, some sodium sulfide tablets, and some potassium chromate. You know the test, one tablet of each and ten cc's of water. Mm-hmm. A dark precipitate means poison. Yes, I know. Thanks, Doc. Well, I'll start off and keep a direct line to the other side. Wherever that is. Wait a minute, Harvey. I think I'll go with you. Oh, why? Oh, maybe I can help. I'd go with you, Harvey, but I'd better keep my eye on the captain. He's the only one who knows where we are. I've got to pull him through. That's all right, Doc. I don't need any help. I think I'll go anyway. All right. If you insist, come on. Harvey, wait. I'm going too. Why? Because I want to. We don't need you. But I'm coming just the same. <laughs> Please, Harvey, I, I'd like to come. All right. Let's go. Certainly hot. How do you feel, Donna? All right. How far have we come? Oh, ten miles, I should say. This is a pretty big island at that. And nothing but desert. Are you sure those last two water holes were poisoned? Certainly. Look good to me. I'm getting mighty thirsty. Better quit drinking that whiskey. It'll only make you thirstier. Harvey, can I have a little water? I'm sorry, Donna, but you'll have to suffer it as long as you can. Please wait. You suppose we'll ever get out of here? I don't know. It's all my fault. What a shame to get you into such a mess. Please forgive me, Harvey. There's nothing to forgive, Donna. I'd do it again a hundred times over. For you. Would you, Harvey? Yes. Poor Victor, what a sad thing. No one must ever know, Harvey. Promise me if we get out of this. Promise me you'll never let anyone know. No one will ever learn from me. I got him. I got what him. What on earth? Harvey, got a gun. Where'd he get it? Come on. I got him. Look. Look. A lizard. A big one. I knew we'd find something. Put that down. You can't eat that. There must be water around here. There must be. Where'd you get that gun? Out of the captain's locker. Better take it easy with those shells. We may need them. Yeah. Maybe I will. Have a drink? No. 
All right. I'd sure like some water. How about it? There's just enough for one of us to get back. And if only one goes back, it'll be Donna. Donna? How chivalrous. Who's got the water? I have. Come on. Let's keep moving. There's water around here. There must be. And I'm going to find it. Donna, if we don't find water, he's going to start pleading for what you have. No matter how much he raves or pleads, don't give it to him. He will beat, even if he threatens us with a gun. Tell him you drank it all. I want you to have the best break out of this. Thanks, Harvey. I appreciate that. I found it. Water. I found water. Hurry, Donna. Hurry. Well, what about it? What's the test show? Just like all the rest. It's full of lead and zinc and heaven knows what else. Poison, huh? Worst chance. How about some of that water? What water? In Donna's canteen. There isn't any more. Who drank it? I did. You both did. You left none for me. You've got your whiskey. I can't drink whiskey all the time. You've done pretty well on it for several years. I've got to have some water. Harvey won't. Harvey, Harvey, Harvey. Is that all you think about, Harvey? You should have married Harvey. Perhaps you're right about that. You sure that water's poison? I'm not drinking it, and I'm thirsty, too. Maybe you're just waiting. For what? I don't know. But I can imagine a few things. We'd better stop here for the night. Are you very tired, Donna? Awfully. Better try and get some sleep. Where are you going, Victor? Just going to look around. May find something. I'm hungry. I'm going to build a fire with this brush. Don't get too far away. I'll be around. Don't worry. Keep a close watch on your canteen, Donna. I have an idea what he's up to. I'll try not to sleep, but I'm dead tired. I'll do my best, Harvey. If he goes to sleep, I'll try to get that gun away from him. <laughs> Good night, Donna. Good night, Harvey. <laughs> Night comes on. The fire burns low. And only a red glow remains. Donna, in spite of herself, drops off into a sound sleep. Victor stirs from his place twenty feet away, looks about him, and crawls silently toward the sleeping Donna. Put it down, Victor. I want some water. There isn't any more. I think there is. You heard what I said. You're lying. You have got some. Victor, what is it? You've got some water and you won't give me any. Harvey. I'm wise to you. You don't want me to have any. You want me to die. You're in love with each other. You're drunk. What if I am in love with Harvey? What of it? Donna. You want me out of the way. Neither of you is very thirsty, no. Because you had some water. And you got it out of that pool. You're lying to me. It's good water. You're crazy. You sneaked it out of there while I was asleep. You, you tried to make me think it was poison. I ought to shoot you both. All right, Victor, if you're so positive. Go on down and drink out of the pool. Oh. That gives me an idea. I'll just find out if that water's poisoned. Go drink some of it, Harvey. Certainly not. I'll give you 30 seconds. It's poison, Victor. Go ahead, drink, or I'll shoot. No, don't do it, Harvey. And supposing you drink some, Donna? Very well, I will. Victor, it'll kill her. Donna, wait. I'll drink it. You're a fool, Victor. But come along. Uh, uh, this is going to be very interesting. Not as much as you think. Get off of me, I'll kill you! Oh. Uh, Maybe that'll hold you, Harvey. Oh, Harvey. Uh, I'm all right, Donna. Just at my shoulder. I hope you're satisfied now that it is poison, Victor. Maybe. But you two are getting water for some place. All right. And over that canteen, Donna. Please, Victor. That's for Donna. I'll take care of it for all of us. And if either of you make a move toward me, I'll shoot both of you. Good night. And sleep tight, both of you. 
the night slowly fades, and the chill of dawn creeps in. Then as the sun comes over the horizon, Harvey stirs fretfully, opens his eyes, and looks for Donna. She sits beyond the dead embers of the campfire, her hands folded before her, staring blankly into space. Harvey raises up with a start and moves quickly to her side. Victor is sprawled on his back, the hilt of a hunting knife protruding from his breast. Donna. Donna. Good. What's happened to Victor? He's dead, Harvey. Dead? That knife. Why, it's yours, Donna. Yes, it's mine. Now no one will ever know. Will they, Harvey? No. I had to. I had to. Harvey. Hello there. It's Dr. Saunders. Hey, here we are. Thank heavens we found you. Sighted a ship, built a signal fire. They're waiting for us. Well, what's this? Well, Victor must have, uh, must have gone crazy in the night and stabbed himself. Well, let me see. He's dead, Harvey. How'd this happen? I told you, he, he must have, uh, stabbed himself. No, he, no, he didn't. I stabbed him. It's my knife. I, I got to thinking and I did it. I crept over and I stabbed him. I see. When did you do this, Donna? It was, it was not more than an hour ago. I couldn't help it, Doctor. I, I couldn't help it. Please, Donna, please. There's nothing to fear. I didn't want anybody to know. Because of Alice. They won't know, Donna. You didn't kill him. What? He's been dead for at least three hours. Oh, what do you mean? Look at his eyes. Look at his lips and his tongue, the swelling of his stomach. Did you test the pool, Harley? Yes. Every pool we've come to has been heavy in mineral content. I warned him, but he thought we were lying to him. Last night, he pulled a gun and took Donna's canteen. There wasn't much in it, but it was all we had. He's been drinking whiskey, so a little water wouldn't satisfy him. So he drank from the pool. Ah, poor Victor. I guess it's just as well. Don't worry, Donna. No one will ever know. Will they, Doctor? There's nothing to tell. Except Victor Jackson poisoned himself in a fit of extreme thirst. No, Donna. No one will ever know. You did your best. You tried hard to make things work out. But somehow fate seemed to take things right out of your hands. <laughs> But you know better, don't you, Harvey? You know what happened. Tell us, Harvey. Tell us. After Victor took the canteen from Donna and drank the few swallows in it, he fell off to sleep. Then I took the canteen and filled it from the poison pool. I knew he'd wake up with a greater thirst, and he did. But I'm not sorry. He's better off. And I found I do love Donna. And I'll take care of her for the rest of her days. There you are, from drama to tragedy, and from tragedy to a beautiful love story wherein they will live happily ever after. <laughs> I know.
CBS has presented The Whistler. Original music for this production was composed and conducted by Wilbur Hatch. The Whistler stories are written and directed by J. Donald Wilson and originate from Columbia Square in Hollywood. Next week, same time... I, the Whistler, will return to tell you the incredible tale of the Secret Seven. Good night. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.